campers. This is the Bitch Seat Podcast. I'm Lissa Mandel. I'm Phil Casal. And uh, I guess we sound pretty happy today. Yeah. It's good. I'll take it. Yeah. Sure. It's a good day. It's a rare, a rare feeling. I'm allowed to have happiness, right? Sure. Sure. Why not? Yeah. We should. Sure. <laughs> I don't know why I'm defending myself to you. You shouldn't. You- well, we were just talking about the miracles of the human body and how I got this horrific burn on my hand. But guess what? It rejuvenated itself. Like the skin is coming off and revealing um, and revealing like a whole new self underneath. You should burn your entire body. <laughs> For the power of transformation. Yeah. And just see what happens. Yeah. Just see what ha- so So that makes me wonder about Two-Face. Like he what was, was the he difference? He was burnt beyond repair. Like he got third degree burns. Once it's a third degree burn, is that beyond repair? Or can you even repair that? Well, I mean, they're skin grafts. There was a, well, back in the 60s, my grandfather got burnt in a restaurant fire and they skin grafted uh, from his like butt and stomach onto his face and things. So you can call him a butt face. But no, he... Uh, <laughs> I bet you did too. No, I, I didn't know this one. This was uh, my, my mother's father. Um, but he looked fine. Uh, but I, I imagine when it's like a chemical fire or like a gas fire or some sort of... Something where it's not just pure fire. It's that's, not just water. That's going to fuck Because it was day. water that was on, that spilled on my hand. Yeah. Burning water. Yeah. yeah. I, I think when anything unnatural or chemical gets involved, that's when you're really in trouble. That's why those fucking idiots, when you don't want to date a girl, when, when a girl doesn't want to date a guy in some cultures and they like fucking throw acid at them or something like that. Wait, what cultures is that? Cultures that I will not name, but they exist in the world. Really? Yeah, dude. I read really depressing news. I'm on. That's like that's like a little kid saying, "If I can't play with that toy, then nobody can play with that toy." Yep, exactly. And then because of that, they're like, "Oh, but that person's damaged." See, but these people should just come on the show and realize. No, I don't their, want these their people. problems. I don't want these people anywhere near the show. Fair enough. Because they're still going through their teenage trauma in their thirties. Exactly, forties, fifties, sixties, forties, fifties, sixties, death. I hope it's a painful one. Anyway, um, go ahead. What do you, Come you on, have we to started read? off on such a joyful note. <laughs> we, really, we really went way down the hill. All the way down. Um, uh, go, so, okay. So uh, we have one of our favorite people on this show. Uh, in a few moments, I will introduce Cassie. But uh, for the moment, I'm going to start out with a poem. I can't. Bl- I actually have never read this on the show before. And this isn't in a book. This is it's uh, not in a book. These are separate poems that I wrote and on a word processor and printed. And this is like pre-internet. I mean, I think I was like 12. Word perfect? Probably word perfect. Oh, I love word perfect. Uh, and if you can see, um, I mean, you can't see if you're listening, but if you're Phil, you can see that the, the font of the title is... Uh, it looks like a bagel deli. It looks like uh, a bagel deli font. font. Appropriate. This is a poem about New York. So I wrote several poems about New York. Uh, and because I subscribed to the New Yorker before I could even understand what any of the articles were about, because I just felt like the flavor of the New Yorker was just like so the quintessence of the city where I was desperate to live, but didn't. So I wrote a couple of poems about Manhattan and I sent them to the New Yorker when I was 12 or 13. (laughs) Did they run them? Nope. (laughs) Uh, I did get a very nice form letter back saying thank you for submitting but they did not run them. And I was appalled because I thought that they were really good. So I'm going to read one of these poems that I've saved. This is called City Moment. Good night, Manhattan, but never to sleep. These are all separate lines, by the way. Good night, Manhattan, but never to sleep. 
the curled razor moon lulling insanity as mortal minds slink into their weave of beautiful nightmares. So frigid a darkness, flat neon day heat dies into the pavement. Battered and spoiled, forgotten whims lap at the curb. The purring urban traffic exhausted. The skyline shuts its glassy eyes one by one, etched in a dim purple. Drowsy silhouettes intertwine, melt, fade to nothing. The city inhales, the city exhales. Good night, Manhattan. (laughs) (laughs) This is all lowercase, by the way, even when there's a period preceding a thing. Uh, I really like forgotten whims lap at the curb. I was really just like an old drunk. Like I was Tom Waits sitting in a bar in, in the middle of the day, drinking a double whiskey, essentially when I was 12. You were 12 for this. Yeah. That's it's very impressive. I feel like 12-year-old Lissa was ridiculous and prolific in a lot of the... So the what happened? Because <laughs> 33-year-old Lissa barely... Yeah, I know. You're right. I'm See, what she doesn't see is I'm... I'm uh, what you can't see, listener, listeners, is, uh, is I'm, I'm motioning to the universal marijuana sign at her. It's accurate. It's accurate. Um, it's fine. Wait, I have, I have, a, I have a couple more. Okay. The, the other ones are shorter. Okay. This, and I sent them, I sent them as a packet, you know. Okay. This is called a love affair. Same font, same deli font. Well, consistency. Rusty blood on the parched hot crumble of street. But down the cool diamond avenue, <laughs> night gently urges day's departure. Beneath the sultry iron skyline, I make love to my city. I said that. Good night, New York. <laughs> I know it's all it's all essentially other verses of that first one. Who do I think I am? They, they they're like, oh, we got this great this twelve year old sent all these poems. Uh, let me read the the the, the short one. What? <laughs> okay, I have one more in the trilogy. It's called Gray, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure I wrote this with magnetic poetry on the fridge in Guilford, Connecticut. And then just transcribed it into word perfect. (laughs) Again, all in lowercase. We walk together. Rain will fall in Central Park. He tells me, cry not. That's on its own line. He tells me, cry not. But in a city so black and white, I could not let love go. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't even make any logical sense. None of it does. It just sounds good. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, I think I think you were onto something. I think that, uh, what? You're making a face like you think I'm being sarcastic. I'm not. I wasn't onto anything. I was onto adjectives and how they sounded oh, together. Don't... I showed this to my fifth grade English teacher, and I'm pretty sure she, she showered me with all kinds of compliments because, like, at least I was doing something. At least I was, like, actively engaged. That counts. It counts. Good, bad, you did it. That's the thing. That's what holds us up as it trips us up as adults because we're always waiting for the right moment because time's so precious now. So we don't... No, we, that great Hugh Laurie quote. There will, there will, you'll never be ready. Yeah, all right, all right. Stop, stop throwing quotes at me. I'm making the point. I'm making my own quote. Okay. Is it, you know, the, the more you sit and wait to do something, the less time you have to actually do something. The fact that you did something at that age, be it, even though it wasn't run by the New Yorker, still counts. And... You'd think that... You'd think that it would have taught me to continue to just do things without waiting and 
Well, you'd think that would happen for anybody that gets rejected. Then I feel I've gotten worse and worse with procrastination over time. Yes, because I think you, we, we start at 60 miles an hour when we discover our creativity, but then we keep getting like just showered with bullets that of no. <laughs> bullets of no and... and uh, That's going to be the name of your band. Bullets of no, yes. <laughs> yes, and uh, eventually it just slows you down. All the, the inertia... And just getting pelted with the opposite of... Yeah, rejection, 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 rejection. rejection. Yeah. I think that slows you down and it makes you want to pick and choose your moves a little bit carefully. Yeah, it's hard because I, I, I really I really had to wonder like what was the truth because when I was writing, I was writing stuff like this. I started in third grade and I was getting... Like my teachers were so happy that someone wanted to do extracurricular writing and work that they were all just like, oh, keep writing, keep writing, keep writing. Very encouraging. All the way through high school um, and... Uh, some of college and then it just fell off and then it was like don't bother it went from keep writing you got this to well you might as well get a temp job do you know what I mean yeah so at some point what I'm saying is what good is is adults telling children to pursue their dreams so 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 hard if that same um if that same um like thought doesn't keep coming at you after like there comes a point where you turn some corner that you didn't know about and suddenly you're in adult land and your dreams kind of stop mattering yeah, but you're here today aren't you in spite of the world no I, but be, i think because of the world because of where you've already gone this is what brought you here so you you shouldn't be moan that you lost it because you never lost it it's just it's a it's a different outlet now it's a different you're, you're putting it know, out in a I'm different saying, way i feel like i got here and you got here because of our sheer force of will because we were like no i'm not going to submit to that and, world where and, i have to have a nine to five job i'm just not going to yeah, do it and that's what you're doing then i know but but it was like at the adults were encouraging me to be creative until they weren't anymore and so then i had the stretch of 10 years called my 20s where i was encouraged just to drop all the dreams and become a responsible grown-up and apparently responsible grown-uphood and dreams are mutually exclusive. What I'm saying is I think there should be a through line of encouragement toward children even as they move into adulthood, but it just stops. It's like you get into college and all of the work has just been building up to you getting into college. And then once you've done that and you leave, it's like, okay, now what? Oh, I shouldn't follow my dreams anymore. Now it's time to get real. It's a different message. So if you're a child listening to this, and you're probably not because this is not a podcast for children, but if you're a child listening to this, what I'm telling you is continue to be creative throughout. Okay. Okay? Yeah. Great. Fine. Now I've made my point. I think that we should uh, we should uh, welcome our guest. How about you? Why not? So uh, our guest is one of my favorite human beings on this planet. She is incredible, and she is going to continue to do incredible things. She um, is a yogi and an actor, and she has this long, beautiful, like, belly button length red hair, like fucking Little Mermaid, and she is just, sunshine just comes out of her face. Um, and her name is Cassie Ray Barbet. Wait for it. I don't remember it starting this way. Me neither. Hold. Wait, Wait here for we it. Go. You're beautiful. That's, that's called the bass drop. It is. You'll never 
Awesome. Cassie knew what it was from the beginning. Hi, Cassie. Hello. I remember listening to this in the car when I was like teenager. Oh, yeah. Windows down. It's a classic. Hair blowing in the wind. I don't know what else Nelly Furtado did. I don't know either. Oh, shit. I think I may have had the album, but I don't remember. I'm not sure she knows either. Mm -mm. It's okay. So, Cassie. Hi. They encourage Hi. these artists <laughs> to make things, and then once they do the first one, they're like, whatever, you know? You're done now. You're it was done. so good, but everything else after that, guys, just, <laughs> you're done. Are we all really just a one-hit wonder? Maybe. I saw you <laughs> writing something down during this, and I want to know what it was. Oh, I was just, the way you were talking about, you know, different people that come along in your lives, and um, you're so, for example, college. You're so excited for college. You're so excited for that chance to like expand yourself and learn and grow and I remember getting to my first um music theory class and the professor came in drunk <laughs> and he looked like Mr. Magoo and all he did was clap his hands together and say zoom the whole time so I wasn't really sure what was going on <laughs> and I was in a new state I'd born and raised in Oklahoma and I was in Florida and I was just like well all hope is lost I'm dying this is it <laughs> you had that thought it was just like the worst yeah oh yeah and I was a very positive person for the most part but that moment was just kind of like well yeah, I think my my first college <laughs> class, uh, my first college theater class was like intro to theater with this guy who was my advisor, and he showed up, and I feel like there might have been food on his sweater, and he was just talking about the theater, and he wasn't really doing anything helpful or mm -hmm. constructive for me, and so I was like, I'm fucked, I'm fucked, I can only do this myself, this is awful, why am I here now? Yeah. And I think that's where it begins, Lissa, is when you, you walk into college and you're like, oh, I've got my shit ready. And then the professor is either drunk or has uh, low mane dangling from his pink sweater. Uh, I think that's when the first uh, the first real bullet of no appears. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think it's when you learn that you start to have to like, oh, okay, I've got to build my own yeah. foundation. I've got to I've yeah. got to build my own like create my own legs yeah. essentially. And it can be dis discouraging if you suffer from any sort of depression or insecurity issues where you're like, oh fuck. Well, or you I you picked the wrong school. I'm at the yeah. wrong place. Like all these. Or things. you spent your whole, regardless of what school or place you're in, you spent your whole life trying to create things to appease authority figures. Mm -hmm. And then you get to this place where it's like, oh, nope, the authority figures have no idea what's going on They're either. Crazy. They have no idea what's going <laughs> on. Knows nothing. So you're on your own. Surprise. Right. Surprise. Yeah. It's like a, on a film set. That's like, I forget. I don't know who to attribute this quote to, but uh, no one knows nothing. No one knows. Nothing. That's a quote. Actual quote. Wow. <laughs> a Hollywood movie. I moved and touched. Yep. Um, so Cassie, Good I want, I want to get, I want to get right to your artifacts because you have a, like a plethora of things. And Beautiful. Cassie has brought these these Beautiful this diaries. gorgeous stack of, of so journals much. that are all fabric wrapped mm -hmm. with sequin designs on them. Lots of sparkles. They look like they might have been made in India, uh, probably. India or Indonesia <laughs> by children. Um, I hope not. <laughs> I hope not. But we all know. No, it's... we're going to say it was a collective of women who are raising yep. themselves up. Yep. Fair trade. Fair trade journals. We hope so. Um, but uh, do you want to give some context? Do you want to just jump in and start reading some things? Um, I, uh, I'll i give just a touch of context. Okay. Um, just that these these journals, and I never really realized it until I looked back at them, they're kind of like prayer journals. Uh -huh. And I was like a super Christian at the time. What, um, um, what sort of church or sect did you grow up uh, uh, I in? went to a Southern Baptist church in Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. So please keep that in mind. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it was my choice. Like, actually, my parents didn't go to church, but I would wake up on Sundays and, like, wake one of them up and be like, it's time to drive me to church. 
I need oh. to go. Wait, and what gave I need you, to go with the people and be with God. What gave you that idea yeah. then? If it wasn't your parents, what else gave you that idea? I was always a seeker. And I always was interested in like something outside of myself, something bigger than myself, mm-hmm. this connection that I had with the universe. And I was super social. And that's like where all my friends were. Uh, so you grew up in a town where all the people went to the church. All the people went to the church. So the church is like the social mecca. And you kind of pick your church based on what kinds of people you want to hang out with. So like where your friends go or... And so in your town, were the Southern Baptists all the social butterflies? Or what drew you to that as opposed to any other one? It was originally a, an, a specific friend. Um, but then I don't know exactly. Because my, my other friends, I had two groups. Some of us went to the Southern Baptist Church and some of us went to the Methodist Church. The Methodists Ooh. were a little out there for me. Like I, I felt like, oh, this is this is just they're crazy. They're dancing. And what about the oh? <laughs> but, so Southern Baptists aren't also dancing? It's a little bit, but it's more like you wave your hands up in the air and you sing the the you know you sing sing up sing loud stand mm-hmm. up maybe clap your hands a little bit. <laughs> it's very exciting. Um, I heard I was listening to another podcast recently, and now I don't remember which one it was to attribute to, and I don't want to bring this down on the mood, but I thought it was really interesting mm. historically. Mm, that the difference between Southern Baptists and other Baptists is that Southern, Southern Baptists, Baptists had slaves. Had slaves. Yeah. What? That was the Rob Bell podcast. With yeah. Krista something. Krista um, Tippett. Mm-hmm, yeah. yeah. I was just listening to that one as well. Um, I, of course, I didn't know that. Right. And Well, you didn't really have other options and you were a child and right. you were given, I mean, you were given this amazing gift of, most children don't get to choose what place of worship they go to when they're little and you got to have that choice from the start yeah I got to choose and I did go to church as a very very young kid and I remember being very fun because we would do like you know like Halloween parties and things like that Mm -hmm. and then I took a huge break and my parents were not in that crowd they didn't really like because there's a lot of people that were really caught up in how I look from the outside Mm -hmm. how big is my house how much money do I make do I have a boat do I go out to the lake on the weekends this is very much like middle America status so was um, it, did you grow up in a town, your town was called Tahlequah. Tahlequah. Yes. Yeah, and I'm still adorable. very fond of my little hometown. <laughs> and was it, did it have like the whole range of uh, like economic Oh my gosh. Systems? Like did- yeah. And, and so it's actually, we were lucky because so there was a university in my hometown, but um, it was a very like anything from like very, very poor, like little like trailer parks poor to um, people living in, you know, nice suburban areas. Mm -hmm. So I was somewhere in the middle. I lived out in the country. Both my parents were teachers. Um, I was barefoot all the time. I I didn't wear clothes. Like (laughs) I had a great childhood, but there was this point of like, I want to learn more. I want to grow. I want to know more. So the first place I looked, because our education system there is not great, was, okay, well, maybe at the church I can learn at least the social aspects of, of how to get out in the world and, mm-hmm. and relate to people. So, And how often did you go? I went on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings, which oh, is normal. A lot of people like go Hebrew twice a week. School. Oh, is it? Yeah. yeah. Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings. Yeah. And Wednesday nights is like all the kids get together um, and like a couple of my friends would leave like the worship service and <sighs> sing and we would like sing along and turn the lights down and get very emotional and deep. And then Sundays was more like light. You know, so choral music and and did you feel like sometimes? um, How much of how much of your excitement about going to church and being involved was about feeling like you were part of a community, and how much of it was actually about 
getting in touch with a divine presence? I think I think I would really have to say half and half because there is this desire to be a part of the in crowd always. Of I course. think no matter where and, you and are. And in Tahlequah, Oklahoma, the in crowd <laughs> is a Jesus crowd. The in crowd is at the First Baptist Church, right. you know, or Methodist Church or whatever, um, whatever church that you, you perceive as being the in crowd. And then there's this other desire for me because I was really close with nature and my dad is like, he didn't hunt or do anything like that. So there is this other desire to just understand what life is all about. Like, what is God? What is existence? Why am I here? Why do I look the way I look? Why do I have the struggles I have? Why were my parents this way? All these questions that you're asking at a very young age. Um, Which I think is incredible. And as we were, we were talking about this last night, but I think that you and I were both seekers and we're mm-hmm. both seekers at a very young age. Yeah. But you, for some reason, oh, it's because we were listening to music on the radio yesterday, mm. and you said, "Isn't this music so happy?" And I said, "No, this music makes me so sad." I but think it was, was like the folk same music song. too. Yeah, yeah, it was something very gentle and wistful and tender mm-hmm. that we were listening to. But I feel like that that dichotomy is exactly how we came up. So I came up as a seeker at, out of a place of like desperate loneliness, mm-hmm. and you came up through a much more joyful place. So yeah, we, I think so. We landed in the same conclusions and we appreciate the same things, but they have different, they're tinted in a different way. And it's funny because you and I grew up very, very differently. But right now at this in, at this crossroads of time, we both have very similar teachers. Mm-hmm. So like mm-hmm. you know, Rob Bell is one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could think of a million other kind of Eastern mind body sort of mm-hmm. teachers that you and I both share. And so it's very interesting how like really a lot of paths will lead to similar yeah. Destinations. So yeah. Yeah. I love that. All right. So let's, let's okay. get into it. Let's get into mm-hmm. it. So these I'll are just, prayer journals you <clears throat> said. Well, cut, yeah. Yep. This one's actually, I like to start with this one cause this shows just, uh, <clears throat> and is it dated or not dated? Oh yeah. These are from 2004. I'm not sure the exact date. I think it was like July or something. You're a bit younger than I am. Yeah. So yeah. Was... So I was like 17. Okay. Perfect. <clears throat> it started this afternoon. I turned, to doc- I turned to Dr. Phil on Channel 6, and he had parents on who were concerned about their children being too materialistic. I'd actually already seen that show, but out of boredom, I watched it again. <laughs> and it made me begin to look at my life and realize that I am kind of a lot like these kids. In a way, I do decide my personality for the day on how I look on the outside and the attention that I get from other people. Example number two. there was no one anyway example two i went to town and a song came on the radio called beautiful by bethany dylan and it convicted me with the kind of kinda with the kind of the same feelings i was slowly starting to get the point that made no sense god was pretty much slapping me around example number three (laughs) on my way back from dance tonight on 101.1 a Christian music station, mm-hmm. a woman named Shannon Etheridge was being interviewed about a book she wrote called A Woman's Struggle. Initially, I thought it was going to be about food or weight, but she was actually speaking about lust anyways. To make a long story short, she dressed provocatively and was looking for love in all the wrong places. Finally, her aerobics instructor took her out to dinner. Oh. Mind you, she was married and went anyway, thinking she could witness to him or something. He finally said to her that she dressed inappropriately for a married woman. Her body language was all wrong, and it wasn't right to do that and make men lust. Anyway, I could go on, but I'm not. You get the idea. Her story made me evaluate my life. Why have I been, uh, something, myself through all this turmoil? 
If weight loss and food obsession, it's another thing, continuously, I have come to God in prayer asking him for help, and what I really wanted was to lose weight. (laughs) (laughs) I came to God with the wrong motives. I wanted a quick fix, and why did I want to lose weight so much? For the affection of this world, for the artificial love of men, to make people turn their heads when I was walking by. And what did I end up getting? Exactly the opposite. Why? Because I was asking for God to fix something that was the wrong thing. I could keep going. We should probably stop there. (laughs) Okay, first of all, so you were 17. I was 17. Had you engaged in any lusty acts? No. Right. Not at all. Right, right. (laughs) So it kind of... I think maybe by that point in my like childhood, maybe a guy had gone up my shirt or something like that. But it sounds like... conflicted by that. You saw this woman or you heard this woman talk about her story and you completely misinterpreted... Oh, I like took it on as my own. Like, I'm a bad person. I'm... I, I think I used the word convicted in here. It convicted me. Were you, did you think you were really a bad person? I think that something that um, Hellfire and Brimstone teachings kind of plow into young people is that there is a hell and there is sin and there is death and there is destruction and you're about like a centimeter away from it. Right. So it's a way of keeping people in line, most likely. Of course. I mean, it's, of course, a yeah. lot of it is a, is a man-made yeah. So misinterpreted. Yeah. And, you know, I go anyway. through my journal and it's just all of these things. And I was dealing with an eating disorder at the time and I was at the dance yeah, studio. And, right. Exactly. And, uh, you know, it's it's all very much like. Dear God, <laughs> was there, were there any uh, was there anybody in the in the church that was either a rival or uh, perhaps a, a, a teacher that was on your case at all or. Or was it completely self-inflicted? It was totally self-inflicted. I really can't think of a single person that was ever mean to me. There were there were dynamics I think that I witnessed at the time that now I look back on. I'm like, man, that wasn't okay. Like some of the guy like uh, uh, youth pastors. Like if we would wear spaghetti straps, it was like, Mm -hmm. no, that's provocative. You're gonna make the young boys lust after. We couldn't wear spaghetti straps in public school either. Yeah. But I mean, I like worked at a church camp (laughs) where. He tried though. Phil tried. <laughs> but I like- honestly, yeah. I did wear a tank top one time, and everybody was like, "What? You did? No. Was it one of those ones with like I the was, big gaping? Yeah, uh, there was, holes there was for a short arms. time when I was ripped. A mm. Very short time. Very short. Mm-hmm. It was about two weeks, and then I hurt my arm. <laughs> and and that was I was like fucking milking it. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, as, I'm sorry. No, no. no as yeah. you should. Yeah. Because oh, I think we've all had those periods of like, oh, I look good. So two weeks. Like, yeah. this is it. <laughs> Quick question uh, about this sin thing. Because, mm-hmm. like, I mean, all of my pain was also self-inflicted. And I also, like, I, gr- growing up Jewish in a reformed congregation that was, sort of had conservative flavors mm-hmm. to it. Um, you know, God was depicted as a man, yeah. a, an angry, vengeful man. Oh, of course, you know. Yes. <laughs> um, and I did sort of feel, I always felt like I was reporting to an authority figure anyway. And I mm-hmm. think that that really help that that out um but for you and because you were such a a happy kid for the most part Mm -hmm. a joyful kid um when you did something that felt good but you knew it was a quote-unquote sin Mm. do you remember having moments like that oh yeah like so many, like I remember stealing my mom's cigarette tray and going and like out into the backyard and like smoking one of them because it was a little bit uh, 
it had a little bit left on it, so I took the lighter and I went in the backyard. And she doesn't know this. And I smoked. <laughs> and I smoked her leftover cigarettes. That's homeless chic, right there. Yeah, That's- I know, right? Uh, and yeah, so like there are plenty of moments just like that one where. I have another entry in here where it's just like, oh, my friends are, are, are sinning and like turning away from God and they went out and drank and, and now they're not yeah, just, it was just such a, I, it was like I was dealing, I just watched Birdman. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. It's like that voice, that other voice that you're listening to that's like really kind of cruel and, and that's the God voice. It's the God voice. It's really so terrible <laughs> that anyone ever has to be subjected to such a so, judging, manipulative. But, but like, tell me at what point your idea of because I know you're still a seeker and yeah. you still and you still pursue like all kinds of knowledge you know in mm-hmm. the eastern world and everything of course at what point were you able to because a lot of people have that you know mm-hmm. they grow up with this this very angry god and then they go in the total opposite direction and become atheists become completely right. non-religious completely non-spiritual in a sort of rebellion mm-hmm. of like and separation did you ever did you have that separation and then come back to spirituality or did you somehow transform? I never left pieces of it. I definitely, there was a, there was a turning point for me where when I was a senior and I think I wrote about it in one of these journals where I was a senior and I decided like, I need to go on mission trips. I need to get out there and spread the word of God. I didn't really decide that. They kind of told you that and then let you believe that it was your decision. It wasn't. Um, But we went to Georgia and we did this mission trip where we would knock on people's doors and we had a pamphlet and it said, if you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven or hell? Oh, you had those? Ah! Like those those pamphlets that you find on the subway? Oh, there's those. There's the cross that's like Jesus is the bridge between heaven and and hell. And they used to give those to me at my mall. Like the mall I got, I'd be sitting reading a comic book and they would like drop it in between the pages. Yeah. It's like. And you're like, yeah. oh, I was having a good time reading my comic Seriously. book, yeah. and you're like, yeah. freaking me out. <laughs> yeah. So you did that. But yeah, so I actually was a part of one of those mission trips, and I really like to think that most people's intentions are good, that most people really, really truly believe, like, oh, there is a hell, and people are going to go there, and, and it's I'm gonna my save them. job, yep. it's my like guilty, heavy responsibility to go out and make sure that these people are saved. That's a huge burden for a 17 year old. Yeah. And I was not, I was like one of the older kids. There was like 14 year olds, 13 year olds. So you had to make an example for everybody. Yeah. And I was humiliated. The whole thing was like, I would knock on doors and I really feel like I've always been pretty genuine. And I would look into someone's eyes and have to ask them this question. And who the hell knew who I was talking to? It may have been like Someone who'd been to the military. Sometimes it was 60-year-old women who've you seen... You have no idea who's behind that door. No idea. And here we are with, like, zero life experience. That was, like, my first time on the East Coast. And I'm, like, telling people, like, well, if you don't say these these words, yeah, going to hell. So that was a big turning point for me because I got to college and I, like, kind of woke up from, from that. Oh, there's a kicker to this. At the church we went to, it was another Baptist church, they would blast on the big screen how many people were quote unquote saved that day so it would be a number oh my god and everyone would get up and cheer and shout and go crazy and i just remember sitting there like i didn't clap i didn't cheer i didn't shout i didn't sing and just looking around and being like what are we doing like you suddenly felt that you were part of the sheeple yeah it hit me i was like people are not a number and i just like like, how many how many People served at McDonald's. You know that the things is like now it says billions and yeah. billions. Yeah, and it's like saved. You were, yeah. yeah, and it makes it a business. It reduces people's life and well being down to a number and a yep. business. And, and yeah, ugh, and I hated it. That's the moment when you realize that like your joy is everyone else's and it's not yours anymore. Yeah, it's it's something you thought that was yours, but actually 
There's nothing in there for you. Well, actually, right. and what is the substance behind that joy? Mm-hmm. It's just like racking up, like, and, and that's kind of like the same with earning money. Like how mm. much, if you're, you're watching the tally go up and up and up and up and up, and it gives you like a buzz, but that's not a sustainable yeah. contentment. And it's this Eastern meditative thing where you feel like, you know, if you've got yourself, there's the Atman, and it sits back and it observes the ego. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, I was kind of in a place of Atman, and I was observing the ego, which was yep. everyone around me. Yep. And I was like, this is not yeah, you what I want to be doing. This is not okay. Like, I, I don't want to judge anyone, and I don't want to, but this is just crazy pants. So, And how old were you when that happened? I was were, 17 or 18. It was the summer before college. So yeah. in that, did you, when you had that feeling, did you share that with anybody? No, nope, definitely not. But I did, I think I did remember talking to some people being like, are we doing the right thing? Are we like, is this, is this really the best way to help people? And Shouldn't they all said yes, like, yes, uh-huh. Yeah, I'm like, is this, because, I mean, Jesus said like, we should feed the hungry and we should like love the poor and we should, all these things that were not what we were doing. Right. We weren't helping anybody. We were making people feel bad. <laughs> You were helping yourselves. We were helping ourselves. We were helping this church get numbers, make themselves look really good. That's, that's all ego. Yeah, yeah. So, and then I read a book my freshman year of college called Blue Like Jazz mm-hmm. um, by Donald Miller. And the beginning is like, um, I'd never heard jazz music before, or I'd never really liked jazz music before until I heard this man play it. And then I realized you had to watch somebody love something before you could love it yourself. And mm-hmm. I realized like, this isn't people loving things. And I, and so I, 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 Threw away the church. I literally just tossed it out the window. Writing that down. I, I have to remember it now. What? Yes. I'll take a. I'll take a snapshot of it. <laughs> it's good. It's um, Donald Miller, Blue Like Jazz. Um, no, I meant your quote. Oh, um, but I forget what it is. Already. You have to watch someone loving something before you can love it yourself. Before you can love it yourself, and I think we all grew up doing that. Yeah. Like we all have those like people that we just love so much, and we want to be more like them, and we want to emulate them in some way. But yeah. it's like, and then you don't even know. I feel like that's been my whole experience in New York City is like watching other people do brilliant things and yeah. then being like, oh my God, I love that. I could for, do that. I forgot about that for a while. Yeah. yeah that's you have a, if been you on have the back a, burner. Somebody yeah. to look up to who is expressing their passion in a very pure way, mm-hmm. you want to do that yourself yeah. as opposed to what sounds like you grew up watching people like getting absorbed in, in a... A, really, a shallower passion. Yeah, and, you know? and doing stuff really for the benefit of what it made them look like, what it made their church look like. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking, these are the kind of churches you hear about that are like huge in the middle middle America, like giant, beautiful, mega, mega like wow. A mega church is really like, you know, thousands. These are like hundreds of people, but still the space is like yeah. unreal. But yeah, so I threw out, I threw out Christianity, but I kept Jesus. Because every time I would go back to scriptures and like read things that he said, those were very like mystical and true and like, you know, kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, which to me means like heaven is here now, exactly, exactly. right now. Heaven is on earth. Like you don't need to wait for this future time. There's no, and then I read a lot about Martin Luther and the reformation of the church and how people were like, you know, crawling up the stairs and like paying penances so that they wouldn't be damned forever. And mm-hmm. Which is all a future-based thing. It has nothing to do with your present moment. No. Because if you're so focused on the future, then you're not in the present moment. Yeah, so that was just a big jumping jumping point for me and just really discovering like, who are we as a society? Who are we as this Western culture that really feels the need to save people? How have we harmed Native peoples um, in the process of, of it? And 
it was very painful, actually, because I took it personally. Yeah. Because I was a part of it for a while. Well, that that kind of realization that you made when you were 17 or 18, most people don't come to that until much later in their lives. Yeah. If ever. And, and so that makes me wonder, was there any part of you that was still experiencing kid things at the same time as you were having these huge awakening <laughs> moments? Were you also still like, I want to go buy that shirt at American Eagle or like was there a part of you that was or you had already transcended I was oh god I would see that's the thing I I missed my college years I didn't have a normal college like everybody else was out going to Gasparilla because I was in Tampa people were at Gasparilla like drinking and partying and having fun and making out with random people and I didn't really have that experience I was like I remember I was just always my head was in the books like I was always mm-hmm. reading about spiritual stuff um I didn't really connect with a lot of people my age because they didn't care about deep things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so yeah, so I, I I missed a lot of that, and I would avoid people like the plague. <laughs> like I was, which is weird because in high school I was very social. Why were you afraid that they were going to infect? Uh, no, it definitely your wasn't. sacred space. Mm, I just needed to be alone. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I spent all of this time. Yeah, I kind of mentioned it a little in the journal of just being like having a perfectionist complex and really like putting on a show for people and, and being a certain way. And mm-hmm. and I just needed people to leave me alone. Mm-hmm. I gained a lot of weight in college. I gained like 50 pounds. And so I think that was part of it. I was creating this shell of for myself yeah. to be like, okay, back the fuck off. <laughs> like, don't talk to me. I don't need... Yeah. Yeah. You made sure people wouldn't get close. Yeah. Like, there's a, there's a boundary. There's, there's a physical a legit boundary. boundary. And we're in Florida. So everyone's like skinny and beautiful. And I'm here like eating... Ben and Jerry's like three pints a night um, by myself, which is true. Yeah, but you were, <laughs> your head was blowing up with knowledge. Knowledge, I tell you. Um, <laughs> well, uh, I, I would love for you to read a little bit more. Oh, so. um, I don't know. I was... <clears throat> so what are the other... You have three of these. I do. Uh, <laughs> this they're one's the all, worst. They're all beautiful. That's the worst one? This one's the worst one just because it's like the most Christian-y sounding. Like everything I say... It's just like, I use words like conviction and faith and like, I don't know. It's pretty terrible. We'll move on. How, well, no, 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 no. How close to the awake, to your awakening? Uh, was that, this? Or is this was around? This, one, or this or? was right before that mission trip. <laughs> really? Yeah. So this was like, this was in the depth of like the Christian space, like the, the kind mm-hmm. of not so real Christian space, but it was real to me at the time. Mm-hmm. I was deep in it and I was like praying the way that Christians are supposed to pray, like talking the way they're supposed to talk. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I had this group of friends that I hung out with that were like, we were all very cool. We like listened to music. We didn't really drink, but we like hung out in what I call the love shack every night and like made up games and played and had a great time. And Wait, what was the love shack? Oh, the love shack. It was my sanity in high school. My <laughs> When my dad moved out, there was this space and it was his shop, but we turned it into like a rec room essentially. And so oh, every so cool. Friday and Saturday night, all my friends would come over, mostly mostly guy friends, because I really related with guys, because they were they were super interested in like pop culture and like just things that were a little bit you know below the surface. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so they would come over. A few of my girlfriends would come over, and we would like. There was a time we spent forty eight hours out there, and we didn't drink, we didn't watch TV. All we did was listen to music. We would play cards. <laughs> we would play foosball. I had a foosball table, and we made up this game called Pilates Ball Rodeo. It's, <laughs> explain yeah. this yeah, game. Yeah, it's pretty great. There's a cowboy hat and a Pilates ball. And I don't know, we were all just like high on giddiness of life. And one of us got on it. You have to you have to be on it on your knees. You on have to have the Pilates on ball? a Pilates ball, which if you've ever tried to be on a Pilates ball on your knees, it's you're going over. 
it's just, yeah, there's, there were many injuries, but, <laughs> and then you have a hat and we played music and the goal was just like other people would come around you and kind of push you a little and you would try to stay on it. That's it. It was Pilates ball rodeo oh or like kick the ball. Like so much fun. Yeah. I think the rule was maybe like you could only kick the ball. You couldn't touch the person. Or something. Yeah. I've got lots of photos. See, for- <laughs> how creative we were when we weren't drinking or smoking. Yeah, we didn't right? have to. We were just finding our way to have fun. Yeah. yeah. I, I remember having a, uh, a birthday once that was a sleepover. There were like six or seven girls there. And we we spent the night decorating these plastic jewelry boxes with like puff paint and rhinestones. And it was a great... And yeah. w- watching Troop Beverly Hills. Oh, yeah. Oh, and that... Such a simple pleasure. I still have many of those boxes still filled with like handwritten notes from like oh, yeah. junior high. Those are the best. Just full of them. <laughs> so good. Uh, we used to be so prolific when we couldn't distract ourselves mm-hmm. with other substances. Oh, actually, in this book, one of my friends hijacked it in the Love Shack. He hijacked my diary and he wrote an entry. I okay. can do that. It's pretty good. He was my love at the time, but it was top secret. But we were just like... So nothing happened. We were very close. Just- no, no. It was very innocent. Um, he wrote, Dear Diary... Today was sort of boring. (laughs) Lindley came over for a while. It was really fun. It's weird how we can be real with each other and we're able to convey how we feel about everything and everywhere. I came out to Cassie, out to Cassie's, that's important. (laughs) And that's where I am now. It's just me, Cassie and Zellner now at 5 a.m. Times like right now, it seriously doesn't get better. I can honestly say I'm taking it for granted and weeks from now, I'll realize that. Well, this isn't my diary, so I'm going to go. <laughs> Zach Hall. <laughs> but, you know, like you have those feelings too at the time. Like, this is so great. It's never going to be this great. I know. Well, yeah. I was I was a little obsessed with that, with remembering like this exact arrangement yeah. of people right now. It's yeah. never going to be like this again. And I'm going to remember it. And no one else is going to. And I'm going to be lonely for us? the rest of my life. Who did that to us? Like, who told us this is the best it's going to be, kid? Did we do I that think to adults say that all the time. They always say youth is wasted. It's all downhill from here. It's all downhill from here, kids. Like I had, I had like uh, my cousin who was my math teacher in high school. Oh he, God, he that's would, complicated. Yeah. Removed cousin who was also like sixty at the time when uh, I was like seventeen. Um, I think it was like my grandfather, my grandmother's. Who cares? Anyway. <laughs> Uh, he was basically saying that shit to me too. Yeah. And everyone else in high school. So we were all treading the end of high school. That's it. Rather than enjoy the moment, when somebody tells you that statement, all you do is dread and fear the future. You actually, it actually has the opposite effect of what it's supposed to. Yeah. Uh, I think that they, they definitely mishandled that because I had the (laughs) most fun in college. I had more fun. That's so good. You know, then, uh, there was some, it, something that, that Patton Oswalt said in um, on one of his albums of like, you know, your parents did the best they could. They fucked, they up. fucked up. Yeah, they <laughs> fucked up. And you, you had like, I was looking through these and I have like, I think one of them is just like, my mother is crazy. She's literally crazy pants. I don't know what I'm going to do. I have to get away from here. Okay, you have to start. You have to read more. You have this to read more. This sort of thing. I don't know where that one is. <laughs> But, but it looks like you marked off some some I places. Some so this is like. What does the beginning of that say? What's this one? Yeah, it's a Bible verse. This, these are full of colorful Bible verses, like literally. Awesome. Because your love is better than life, my lips will praise. Lips will praise you, and it just keeps going. Nice. And did yeah. you? So my question is, did you really feel that? Like, because I did all that stuff yeah. too in Temple, and I wrote down all of my literary interpretations of all the prayers, yeah. etc., which I was good at doing. But I still didn't have an underlying sense of everything is going to be okay, which mm. is, I think, the point of spirituality. The point of, of religion in the first place is like 
feeling some reassurance that we're not alone on this earth and everything is going to be okay. But that's, that's not the purpose it served for me at all. That should be the clear message, but I feel like a lot of the message gets skewed to uh, everything will be okay as long as you stick to this. Yeah, these are the this stipulations. Over here. Yep. This is what you have to do. And, yeah. Jump through this, this, and this hoop. And if you do, then yeah. you'll be okay. Yes. Religion and, was, yeah, it was a black hole in my town because it was yeah. very joyless and judgmental and they were very exclusive oh god well, i just got a fucking bug in my mouth it's like the- <laughs> Sorry. that was it's protein ah, that's nah. good for you that's the next the big thing crickets yeah I'll just find you some yeah it's the next big protein yeah. it's very crunchy and salty <laughs> they have them so at cricket snack at a couple i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt yes. you i no. caught up <laughs> no but this one so i found one how am i supposed to quote unquote honor thy mother when quote unquote thy mother is crazy <laughs> <laughs> She'll kill me when she hears this. <laughs> I love her so much, but she is seriously nuts. God, please help me to show her respect. It is so underlined hard. I don't even know what to do anymore. I can't wait to go to college and I can't wait to get to get away from her. And then in a different color, color like yeah. I came back because I probably felt very guilty for writing that. Right. It was even though it was your personal private space. Yeah. Exactly. I came back and I wrote, Wow, it is scary what someone will say in the midst of anger and frustration. Forgive me, Father, for my actions and overreactions. Amen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but see, I, I feel like I did the same thing, too, where I was speaking to someone, this invisible authority figure that I was sure was there judging me, yeah, telling me I was judging bad. Them. That was the big thing that we learned from a lot of, like, that's Western religion. It's really, it's really upsetting. <laughs> I know, because... Yeah. because Everybody feels those things. And it was like you had this one voice that was coming out and being truthful and yeah. like, oh, I can't stand this anymore. And sort of that release that you need to have. Right. It's normal for everybody to have. Mm-hmm. And then you couldn't even tolerate that release being there in its own. Like you had to come back and disclaim it. Because you think to yourself like, oh, what if she reads it? What if this happens? Like, And then there is the the lingering bubble of hell hanging over mm-hmm. you. Yep. That at the time for me was a very real place. Like a very, what did you picture? Just you know the basic stuff, the basic like uh, post-apocalyptic, like red fire. Mm-hmm. You know what's that book? What's that book that came out that was like? It's like once the once God came, and then it was like everyone's like man, every man for themselves. It was a very Christian book for a while. Left Behind. Yes. Yeah. That ideology. That ideology. So that was a very very big. Um, it's like ingrained in you when you go to these these denominations. And I will say, I had such good friends, and we would really get down to like the meat of of Christianity, like love, forgiveness, um, helping people. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you really kept the good parts. That's why I think you're I, kind of a, a miracle person <laughs> because you you came from this this background of uh, you, you just you didn't rebel in that way that a lot of people do, and you're so you're still so kind and open, and I think that you put love and generosity at the forefront. Mm. So that's that sounds like a success. It's interesting, and I, I do think that one of the challenges is to like to honor. As I was looking through these, I was just like, oh my god, I was crazy. What was I thinking? Da, 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 like going on and on. But I think one of the challenges is to like really honor your journey. Mm-hmm. Like this is actually these things. What I said here were very challenging for me to read mostly because of how I wrote them it's just like dear god please bless me like these kinds of things like but I have to I have to I can get a little annoyed with it and kind of laugh and make fun but at the same time I really need to honor like this is this is what started my journey at least I was on a journey towards something um so that was for the most part you've 
kept it. Yeah. You're still there. There is an undercurrent of truth, I think, in all religion. So I think no matter where you come from, there's an undercurrent of um, of truth that you can grasp yeah, onto. Yeah, but it's just been over thousands of years just like caked with the dirt of human error. Well, <laughs> yes, that's really good. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. The dirt of human error. And human error. Sorry, yes. She just, she just, it comes in like the form of capitalism and money and greed and and power. power. And we know that we've yep. seen it in all of our favorite movies. It's it's and it's real. You go to other Thrones, countries. Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. <laughs> I was thinking of Lord of the Rings in my mind. Yeah, it's all the same. Um, yes. So you just you see it everywhere, and you just have to. That's why I really like a lot of Eastern philosophy. That's really why I like yoga and the yogic philosophy is that. You do have ego and you can look at it on a small scale, which is within yourself. And you can look at it on a large scale, which is people. And and so everybody has this like surface level that they're functioning in. But then there's a deeper level of like truth and beauty. And why are we all here? What are we all doing? And yeah. And can you believe that so many people on earth actually don't ask those questions? Yeah. I just can't. Most people I don't. I can't believe that. Really? I know. Do right? you really think so? Yep. Or that question like crosses their mind like a blip on the screen and they're like, nope, shutting that down. We're not mm. going to go there today. It's too hard for people. I was just on a business trip and I, I was in Africa. Zambia. Yeah, it was so cool. It so was, cool. It was so cool and so random and I loved it. Um, and it was, you know, I, my friend said you can't go to Africa without it changing you and she's right. But I would say you can't go to Africa or anywhere else in the world that you're not used to without it shifting your perspective somehow. Mm-hmm. And so it did. And one of the people I was with, they're very, they're very kept well, they're kept very well in Africa. Like everyone's in business suits and dressed well and, and, and very, Respecting their lives. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think they're they're really trying to like. There's this there's this feel that there's a trying to fit in with with most recent culture, which is like, and business is above mm. all else. Oh, yeah. Like business is what's going to get you the furthest, and so you're going to wear the business suit and you're going to wear the the dress and the skirts and the whatever, whatever it means to make you look like a business person. Mm-hmm. That's step one. Um, but so I was talking just like I always do with one of the guys and. He was like, oh, I never, I don't, I, this is weird. I never get to talk about spiritual stuff. And I was like, oh, really? Like you can't, and you can't just in common conversation huh. talk about like meditation or, or whatever. And he, he's just like, no. And he actually, he got a little tipsy one night and he came over to me and he just like spilled his beans about these visions and like God and all this really cool stuff. That he doesn't get to share. That he doesn't get to share with other people. Um, and it was cool, but I was also a little sad because I was like, well, you don't have to hide that. But there is an, there is this idea that like, you know, I work at a bar where everyone's business minded. It's like, there's this idea that if I wear the business suit, if I'm out in the world doing the business thing, that I'm not a person, I'm not like there, that's separate. Yeah. I'm separate from believing in something bigger or a a deeper truth or whatever. So I think you're right. I think that's specific, that specific way of being is a very businessy thing in New York, you know, which is where Wall Street is, especially yeah. this restaurant where you're a bartender and mm-hmm. I used to work there mm-hmm. as well is in East Midtown. And Financial. people are in there. The people who are in there all the time are so living. They're so in a corporate brain. They're living above the surface of the messiness yeah. of humanity, which it makes me really sad too. Mm-hmm. And so I would serve these people who were, they were having like a business lunch and they were too afraid to order themselves an iced tea because what if nobody else is ordering drinks besides water? And I felt bad, even though I was the one in this lower power status, I felt bad for them. Yeah. It's just, it's like uh, you have to wait. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's curious, but my hopes are that like 
if people in that world can start to realize how much power they have in a good way and how they can really help the rest of the world, how they can actually be a force in the world because they already are a huge force in the world. So if they can like reestablish kind of their humanity in a way and understand that like, oh, I can do this thing, this business thing, but I can also do something. Well, that's why you were, that's why you are where you are. That's why you, this like radiant, vulnerable, (laughs) open-hearted person is bartending people who are so closed off because you're going to be a catalyst for them. Yeah. And it doesn't bother me because I can see through it because I'm just like, you know, if if someone snaps at me or, or I didn't say McAllen 12, I said McAllen 18 and (laughs) screams at my face. Um, I can just kind of giggle a little and be like, you have your priorities so just, I don't get it, but that's okay. No, I, (laughs) sorry, we were a little distracted because Phil was trying to crack the knuckle of my big toe under the table and I am not coming with with your toe. Are you guys playing footsie in my presence? We are playing footsie. It was a mistake, but it turned into a bigger mistake. We've been playing footsie for for a while. By the way, Uh, these two are so cute together at the show last night. (laughs) You're on the stage, Phil's like kissing Liz's forehead. I think I saw like three little smooches on the forehead. It was so cute. I could die. It's It's, great. It's it's more like, it's habitual at this point. He's an affectionate. It's fair. It's pretty great. I love people, it. Yeah, people would. Fall Did you get another bug? I, yeah, the bugs or love it's the him same too. one. Um, <laughs> before we get mm. too far away from it, was did you want to read another one, or are you done with these? Oh, we're okay. I think. <laughs> I think that's enough. I think they're. I think they're beautiful, and I and I well, love nice. how prolific you were, and um, um, I just I don't know. You're great. Thanks. I love you guys. I love you too. <laughs> um, and uh, I'm going to give you a little present because that's how we do on the oh, show. Oh, I didn't know that. From my childhood bedroom. <gasps> um, that's all That's all the stuff we give away. Oh my God, Something awesome. that came out of my childhood bedroom that I never threw away. Does your childhood bedroom still kind of... Oh, it looks exactly the same. Mine does too. Yeah. It's terrifying. It looks exactly the same. Hasn't changed. There's a Nicolas Cage picture on her door. Yeah. Uh, with his like his shirt open and his like... Of his, all actors, it's Nicolas his Cage. His hairy t-shirt chest. Oh, yeah. It was because of this field trip that we took and we were on a bus and we, we were watching uh, The Rock, I think. And there's a like a sex scene in it and no one else was paying attention. And I was like, are you kidding me here? Oh my God. Cause he was really sexy. I don't know. Uh, You're I, you know, I had like the teeny bobber magazines and I cut out like Jonathan Taylor Thomas and all these. I'm like, Oh, we all had JTT. He looks the same. He hasn't changed much. Really? Yeah, dude. But he, but see, he was a boy. Nicholas Cage was a, a man. man. Of course. And Italian he likes man. men. She he likes, is. he's a Coppola. That's right. Yeah. I knew, I knew where I was I know, going. I know your type. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> anyway, this, so I, so I had a whole constellation. I had the Scorpius constellation. Oh, I didn't even know what that was. But what I are didn't, you? No, that's actually, amazing. I was obsessed with astrology. So oh. I thought I was a Scorpio my whole life. So I had the Scorpio constellation above my bed. I slept in a Murphy bed, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And, uh, <laughs> And uh, this, eventually the stars, the putty got dried up and the stars, they were the glow in the dark stars. Uh-huh. And they all started to fall off my ceiling. So I have for you an a original. Star. It's a It's a glow in the dark oh plastic star with some crappy putty on the back. It still has the putty. It still has the putty on the back. <laughs> That's Consider great. it the tail that, you know, oh. at which it fell and it, it kept behind yeah, it. Yeah, so that was the big one. But it turns out I'm a Sagittarius, so oh. my whole life was a lie. No, it wasn't. Because you wanted you to be a, a Scorpio. I did. you have a huge identity crisis when that happened? No, 
well, I sort of found out at the same time that I was going through my Saturn return, and we're not going to go down this astrology road right now, <laughs> but half hour. I thought I was a Scorpio until I was in my late 20s, oh. and then I was like, oh, turns out I'm completely different, wanderlusting, lighter kind of energy person. Yep. And, and by the way, the poem that you read as a 12-year-old, I was probably like biting my toenails or something. Like, <laughs> yeah. And you're like writing very deep poetry with like these words I had never... I, because I was so desperate to get out of there yeah oh my god it's just funny how everybody handles that differently (laughs) yeah you were happier you were struggling yourself as well but you ultimately really enjoyed where you came from and you enjoyed being barefoot I, i do think though and i i'm this needs everyone should hear this it's very important to leave the place you're from so that you can appreciate the place you're from like, I oh, totally agreed. I think totally there's this agreed. thing in scriptures where it's like a prophet is never accepted in his hometown. Mm. And Jesus says that to some like rabbis or something from his hometown because he's left and come back and now everyone's calling him prophet. And the rabbis are like, no, 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 you're not a prophet. But he, he even says to them like, and this is good for anyone who feels like they're trying to be bigger than themselves, like, or, or, or really step into their true bigness, mm-hmm. um, is that a prophet or a person of greatness may not be accepted in their hometowns and they may not you know, fit there any longer. It's like outgrowing a skin and having to step out and into something new. So I think it's really important for people, even if they want to go back and live there, to leave for a period, just to test the waters. Well, I agree. And I also think that it's important. I think that you can't really know how how worthy you are until you bring your true self to people who weren't previously familiar with yeah, you. So that's like, huge. I was always Definitely. me and I was always this you know, maudlin, prolific journal or whatever. And my parents knew I was smart, but I'm still just like their kid. Like I'm still just the family. You <laughs> know exactly what I mean? Yeah. So like even now when I do things and I'm like, guess what, you guys, I had this guest on my show or I got to do a reading at, in this. And they're like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. But like they don't understand how, <laughs> how you, don't get, you, you don't get fully appreciated yeah. by the people who, who you grew up with because they're like, oh, that's just you doing your thing. Yeah. And I'm like, but my thing is getting laughs yeah. on stage, you know? My acting coach talks about that all the time, how her mom just always, like, knocks her down a size. But I think it's also important. It's like your family is always the one, like, bringing you back. Putting you in your place. Putting you back in your place. And you're you like, just got to uh. make sure that when you, whenever you go home, you put your armor on. Yeah. You're, you're carrying your big piece of black tourmaline to uh, <laughs> protect against the bad energy. Your armor of, like, love and just like, all right, say what you want, you crazy pants. Yeah. And that's why I love talking to you. Yeah. Love yeah. you guys. Thanks. Love Thank you, you too, Cassie. Mm. Thanks for being on our show. Thanks for my star. Yeah. I'm going to put it on my ceiling. You better. I will. It's going to fall off immediately. Yes, it will. I'll have to get a new tack. <laughs> <laughs> that was very old. Cassie Ray Barbet, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Thanks for listening, guys. Yeah. yeah. And uh, as always, uh, treasure what got you here. And honor yeah. your journey. And honor your journey. Yeah. yeah thanks for that, yeah. Cassie. Follow us on Twitter at, at underscore the, no, at, at the underscore, underscore, underscore bitch, the bitch underscore. The bitch underscore. <laughs> Follow the bitch underscore. Also, oh. you can listen to this podcast on Google Play or iTunes. Please subscribe and leave some great feedback. And uh, we are at QED Live the first Sunday of every month. Yes. So come TBA is guest starring. Out. You know, good old TBA. TBA is guesting. And uh, very excited. I love him. Yep. <laughs>
Hello, I'm Ben. As always, I'm Paul. And we're from Juicy Reviews. We have a podcast where we like to talk and review movies, maybe bring on a wacky character from that movie, and always play some games. We like some games. I actually brought a clip, Paul. Wait, you brought a clip? I brought a clip. Can I listen? Yeah. I look mad young, right? Yeah, yeah. you look young in the movie. And, uh, I hooked up with a bunch of the young chicks at the movie. Oh, you know what? You know what? It's not illegal if you're a police officer. And, and, I believe that, And this yeah. is something I wanted to bring up since you're here. Sure. Tell us about all the hookups on set. Oh, my God. Who's Un- hooking up with who? Yeah. So, all right. So, like, there's, like, these, like, Asian girls in the movie. Right. They play, I, the twins, right? I triple kissed them. Okay, um, a little triple kiss. Triple that way I didn't get confused if it was Rachel or Rebecca. Yeah, 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 exactly. I was like, oh, whatever, and I triple kissed them. Was and was that offset or on camera, or and they got cut out maybe? Or oh, uh, I didn't do it on camera for sure. Okay. I would never because I, you know, what I mean, that's I could get in a lot of trouble for that. I don't, I don't know how old they are. I could never tell with them. But uh, who else? Let me see. Cecily, the girl. Yeah, I chalked. I, I chalked her. You chalked her. What? <laughs> I chalked what is, her. What is chalking? That's when you kind of forcibly kiss someone. This has been an Atlantic Transmission production. Hey!